I do not know about you, but the more I read about Jesus and what he did, the more I think he's not going to be very popular when he comes back. At least not with the better people in town. Because you see, he, he's mixing and mingling with the riffraff, those that uh, are not uh, considered to be part of the team, if you will. He associates with rejects, the rubble of humanity. So he would be kind of a shocking person when he returns. He tells a parable. If you remember, I was with you, I think it was two weeks ago. I don't know, I slept since then, so I don't remember. And there were 17 verses that were missing between two of the stories that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And in those 17 verses, the Pharisees, it was very clear, Luke said, the Pharisees came and said, when is the kingdom coming? When is all this that you're talking about going to be fulfilled? And then Jesus begins to say, well, you need to be ready. And then we need to hear the stories. And this is one of the stories. Two people, Jesus says, go to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Now, tax collectors, we know by report, were people who were Jews, but were hired by Rome to collect taxes. They were worse than cheaters, worse than liars. They were traitors. They were betrayers. Now, betraying or betray or betrayers is a w words that we know, don't use that often. But have you ever been betrayed? Has someone ever taken advantage of you through lies or setting up something and you end up on the losing end? That's being betrayed. So what the tax collectors did is that you came to pay your taxes and you were told what your taxes were. You didn't get the little thing from Mr. Ames in the mail telling you how much it's going to be and that you do to pay it. There was none of that. You walked up and they said, well, it's so much. And if it went up from the previous year, there was no, no recourse for you, so you paid the money. And what happened was that tax collectors were pocketing some of that money. So they would pay Rome what Rome expected to get, but they pocket money. So these people are really not liked by anyone. So can you imagine the response of the crowd when Jesus tells this story? First, he introduces two men went to pray. The first one, a Pharisee. People are going like, all right, because they're good people. Yeah, And the other one's the tax collector. Oh, boo, he is. And then Jesus tells the story that the tax collector comes out to be the hero of the story. Listen to the prayer of the Pharisee. And this is a different translation. God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, as you're supposed to at that time. I give tithes of all that I get, as you were supposed to do at that time. He's not doing anything extra. He's just reminding God what he is already doing, but he is saying, 
hey, God, look how neat I am. I am hot stuff because of what I do. I think our first response may, may be that this is not a bad prayer. Uh, the Pharisee was not like the, the riffraff of society. He was following the law. He was doing all the things that law-abiding citizens would do. And that is acceptable and sometimes praised. For us today, it would be like, well, I go to church every Sunday, and I uh, attend the Bible study during the week, and I am uh, part of the Good Shepherd ministry of this church, and I do the best I can with the money I have, and I pledge. I may not tithe yet. I'm working towards that, but I pledge, and I'm a communicant in good standing, by golly, and I feel real good about that. Listen to the tax collector's prayer. Standing far off, Luke wants us to know that he has not approached the Holy of Holies. He doesn't feel worthy of that. He is standing far off. And not being able to look up, he is looking down. We don't know the dirt, the stone, his toes, whatever it is. He is looking down and upon beating his chest, he is saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. No pretense, no illusions. He knows what he is, what he's done. He's so ashamed he cannot even look up. Can some of us pray that prayer? Why does the tax collector go home justified? Well, like I mentioned to you, verse 9 puts together those 17 verses together, and it reads this way. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. There was a belief among the Jews that they were the chosen people. After all, God got them you know, away from Yul Brynner in Egypt. He got you know, people like Edward G. Robinson to help him in the... In the uh, uh, desert and all that. I mean, God was with them. They're chosen. They're going to go to wherever God is going to take them, to heaven, to wherever. But Jesus says, not so. You're not the only ones going. The kind of moral that Jesus was drawing was determined by the audience to whom he was speaking. This group thought they had arrived, the spiritual elite, they knew everything about the Torah. If you went with them for a question, they would find a question for you. If not, they would generate a new precept to address your need. Those are the straight-A students in seminary. And I think we all know people like that, that they think they have arrived. There are three general truths. There may be more, but these are the ones I want to share with you very quickly. Why Jesus likes sinners. Number one, sinners know they still have room to grow. That happens to all of us, one way or the other. We know we have not arrived. We know what humility is. And we know we can do more and believe more. Share with you a personal experience. When I was... Uh, still in uh, seminary, 
I was uh, able to work at what was called the Episcopal Center for Renewal on the campus of St. George's in Oak Cliff. At that time, we were coordinating Cursillo, Happening, and Vocare, and I was hired to do some of the background work on Cursillo, setting up the, the necessary things for the weekends, and then also Happening and Vocare. And one time at a, at a fundraiser, a mother came to me and praised everything that I had done for her son, whose life had been changed while he went to a happening weekend. I remember being embarrassed and tearing up, but on the way home really saying, geez, I'm a neat guy. Isn't that something? I was able to change a life. This is just wonderful. I'm so good. I did not know what humility was. And as I was preparing to be ordained, because you can imagine in my mind, if I was that good at that time, lay hands on me, put a collar on me, and I am going to levitate, and I'm going to be doing just wonderful things. Hello, ordination exams. That was the two by four that God used on the back of my head to let me know that I wasn't that neat. I did not pass them. I was delayed in my ordination and I spent a whole year getting in touch with my shortcomings and learning what humility was. Perfection I never achieved. I don't think any of us will. But I knew that I was not as neat as I was thought of. The other reason Jesus likes sinners is that we're part of God's plan. We're not the plan. We're not the center of God's plan. We're part of it. We just hold something for a little bit and then release it back to God. Give an example. For those of us who have followed the Cowboys since 1960, we know that there have been some nemesis or would it be Nemesi? I don't know. The Washington Redskins, San Francisco 49ers, Sonny Jurgensen on one side, John Brody on the other. So the, the story is about John Brody. He was asked one day, you're an elite quarterback. Your hands are insured by Lloyds of London. Why are you holding the ball for the kicker to kick a one-point play? after a touchdown, expecting a major philosophical way in which he would answer. John Brody said, if I don't hold the ball, it'll fall down. No pretense, no illusions. He was doing a part of the job for the entire team. We do our job for God's plan. Again, we're not the plan. And lastly, sinners do not look down on others. My favorite theologian, Frederick Buechner, once put it this way, the trouble sometimes with religious people is that they try to be more spiritual than God himself. We know some of those examples that are available to us through the electronic media through television, where they know everything and they're going to tell you 
how it is that you are to live. Although we all do that, when we preach, we're really playing with your minds now. I'm doing that right now. I'm trying to convince you to follow Jesus' way. Some misguide people. Frank Lobach, in his classic Channels of Spiritual Power, writes this. The closer people draw to God, the more clearly they see the weaknesses of human nature and the great temptation of one who is trying to be a Christian is to be critical of those who do not share his Christian ideas. How to hate the wrong, yet feel love and a tolerance for the one who does wrong, is a problem every Christian must face. The problem does not grow less, it grows greater as one's dedication to God increases. So as our dedication to God increases, we're supposed to be more compassionate for those who do not know God the way we do, who do not practice their religion the way we do, and bring them into the fold of God. We are dependent on God. The Pharisee could not see that. The Pharisee was dependent on the law. He didn't realize that that meant nothing in the presence of the righteousness of God. We can never be righteous enough to earn God's love. It is freely given. We have God's love. As sinners, we have God's love all the time. As I look around, I've been here a little bit over a year, I recognize some of your faces. I don't see any one of you to be a righteous person like the Pharisee, and thank you for that. You're not praising yourselves, on the contrary. You're helping others, you're praying for others, you're taking action for others, you're doing ministries to help others. Surely we comfort ourselves in knowing that we're not murderers or adulterers or thieves, or, but we ignore the more subtle power of pride, prejudice and neglect of the poor. So you and I, being sinners, can take pride and comfort that Jesus likes us. A Pharisee and a tax collector both were sinners, only one knew it. We need to be aware of what our prayers sound like. We need to take inventory on how do we see ourselves in front of God. And I want to end with a wonderful memory that I will always have of a young man by the name of Jonah who played guitar. And every month, once a month, we would meet with the happeners, those who had gone through the happening weekend, and we would go to St. Mary's in Irving. The church was open to us, and we would celebrate the Eucharist and then have a talk about whatever it was that the kids wanted to hear. They had a program committee. There was no organ played, but Jonah taught us a prayer that is sung in rounds while we were having communion. And it goes like this, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord 
and he will raise you up higher and higher. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will raise you up higher and higher. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.